What's up, everyone? So in today's episode, we're going to be discussing what are some good contingencies that you want to consider having in your next offer to purchase. Those of you that follow me on Instagram or over on Bigger Pockets, you probably know that recently I became a realtor. I had not been a realtor up until uh, August, but I made that shift. But I've been wanting to do this shift for a while, and most of it comes from what I see on the flip end of the transaction. See, as a property manager, especially in the last couple of years, managing in a market that's actively blooming, I would get a lot of people in as referrals for property management, but they hadn't bought anything yet. After they close on the property, it comes to us for management. And this is when I was beginning to see some things being missed on the earlier stages as part of this deal. So during the due diligence for buying and the offer to purchase. So I want to go through some of the most common contingencies that I think could really benefit a rental investor that is looking to make an offer on a new purchase. Building a real estate portfolio is as much about buying properties as being a de facto entrepreneur. I'm Karina Ufinger. I'm a multi-property investor, rental management company CEO, and also a landlord coach. I'm going to show you the systems and knowledge you need to thrive as a real estate entrepreneur. From your first property purchase to building a portfolio of passive income where you work less than five hours a week, you'll learn the essential information and skills to build a profitable portfolio and live the life you truly want. Whether you are well on your journey or just starting out, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Landlord Chick Podcast. Making an offer to purchase is a huge deal, especially if it's your first one. If it's your first one, you probably have all the butterflies in your belly and you're excited, but yet you're still like equally scared. So it's like, three cups of scared, three cups of excited, like it's a recipe. It's a big deal. And even if you've been investing for a while, your offer to purchases are still a big deal. Not necessarily in the sense you get all these emotions and things like that, but they're a big deal because you're putting a lot into that five, six piece of paper document because that document is going to dictate a lot of how not only this deal goes down for closing, but it's going to begin to dictate how successful your purchase is to begin with. So that's why I think offer to purchases are extremely crucial. I think there's something that you need to get right. As the, as the rental investor, you need to know what are some of the things that should be in there for contingencies. The last thing you want to do is rely on your realtor. I'm not saying all realtors are bad because obviously I'm one. But there is this idea from Robert Kiyosaki that when you're hiring someone to assist you in doing something, you need to be able to know whether they actually know what they're doing. He talks about this in the capacity of like stockbrokers and accountants. I'm using it in the fashion of understanding that your realtor, yes, they are trained to do this stuff. They do it every day, likely for a living. But... It's your responsibility to ensure that they know what they're talking about. And one of the ways you figure out that they know what they're talking about is knowing what kind of contingencies might be useful for you to have in place. 
As I said in the intro, I've seen a lot of this on the flip side of it. So after one of my clients has bought a property, I start onboarding it. And then I begin to see some of the issues with how the transaction actually went down. And the biggest way I see some of it is items that could easily be addressed in contingencies. So I'm going to give you a list of some of the contingencies for you to consider when you make your next offer to purchase. Now, I don't want to say that these are must-haves or must-put in there because here's the reality of an offer to purchase. You're structuring it to make it attractive. Yes, you're structuring it so it's beneficial to you. You're going to make sure you don't pay too much based on your calculations. But you also have to package your offer so it's attractive. Because then that way, if perhaps you're offering 30K below listing price, your benefit might be some of the contingencies that aren't in your offer. One of the most common ones that people tend to weigh when they're trying to make their offer attractive is the home inspection contingency. This was waived a lot last year. We saw all the viral TikTok videos about it, Instagram reels about it. People sort of making fun of this idea of waiving the contingency in order to make your offer seem attractive. But that's the reality of real estate is we're tweaking our offer. It's most often the contingencies to make it more attractive. So here's a couple of the contingencies that I think are good things to have in your Rolodex. When you're looking through to make an offer on a property, you kind of pull up this sheet and go like, okay, which of these contingencies applies? Which ones do I really need to ensure and have in this offer to purchase? So the first one might kind of seem like a no-brainer, but it can get missed in the shuffle. And that is making sure that you or your realtor have eyes on every single unit. If you have a realtor that is working for you in another state that you don't live in, obviously you're relying on them to go through the property and view it inside and out. Sometimes what happens in showings is obviously we don't get into all the units the first time we're there. Maybe the listing says you're only seeing certain units on the first showing just so that they aren't inconveniencing all 12 tenants, let's say, in a 12-unit building every time there's a showing. That's very common when we get to medium-sized, large multifamilies as they basically select a number of units that will be shown on the first showing. It's really important that you get through and see all of the units. So if you find yourself in a situation that maybe your first showing only was certain units, or maybe ultimately they were denied access, maybe it was a quad and the fourth person just wasn't there, and then it turns out the key that was left for you or the key that the listing agent had didn't work in the door, that's a note you wanna make to be sure you get into that unit. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people say, oh, well, it's just one unit out of three. I'm sure it's not that bad. doesn't matter. I'll go ahead and make my offer. They don't get into that third unit. They close. They ultimately get into that third unit and they realize, oh my gosh, there was a reason why they were kind of really circumspect about getting me in this unit because this unit is trash. It completely blows my budget out the window. So that's why it's really important that you see every single unit. So if you found yourself in a situation where you or your realtor has not seen every unit yet, that is definitely a contingency that you want in your offer to purchase. The second contingency that I recommend is that you have, is that the seller has seven days from the time of accepted offer to get you copies of leases. 
I'm a big proponent of possibly seeing if you can get leases ahead of the offer to purchase, but there are times where the seller just isn't willing to relinquish that. Part of it comes down to them not wanting to give too much away right off the bat. Another part of it is, and this is probably the larger chunk of it, honestly, they have this idea of protecting their tenant's privacy. There obviously is information on leases that is something you obviously wouldn't post like on Craigslist or on Facebook as a snapshot. So then therefore the seller is likely not wanting to just hand it out like candy, like anyone that wants to see it can see it. So if you do ask for copies of leases prior to an accepted offer and you're denied, don't necessarily take it as a red flag. There's likely this factor of confidentiality that needs to be considered, but it should definitely be a part of your contingencies that within seven days of the accepted offer, you receive the leases. And I would actually take that a step further. If you have that in your offer, that a contingency that you need to see these leases, you might want to consider a contingency, a little sub-contingency that basically says if something is found to be incredibly illegal in the leases, that an attempt is made to remedy that legal issue. So what's an example of this? Well, an example of this would be if there was something in the rules and regulations that prohibited families from living on the second stories of duplexes or apartment buildings. That is a fair housing violation that would be steering them to a particular unit or level of the building based on their status as a family. That is a fair housing violation. That would be something that if it's found in there, you'd want to correct it before you take over. So that's why I say it's sort of like a sub-contingency. Now, again, you might be thinking, wow, that's a really vague contingency to have in there. Get it as precise as you want say that the buyer is making a contingency based on getting the leases within seven days of accepted offer. And if any clauses are found to be in violation of fair housing or blatantly in violation of state statutes, then the buyer can ask that the situation be remedied. I'm really saying this off the cuff. I'm not reading from a script for that. So if it didn't sound exactly clear, that's why. But that's sort of the basis of it, is we're basically saying, hey, we want to see the leases. We're going to look at them. And if we find things that are illegal that could get my client in trouble really quickly, we're going to want to turn around and ask that the seller make good on these leases change them, get them signed off on. Because they're known illegal clauses, there's no issue with basically getting something changed. Even though it might be a year-long lease or they're in the middle of a lease, it doesn't matter. If it's an illegal clause in any state, you can modify the lease to remove it. Now, let's say you have that contingency in there that within seven days of accepted offer, you have to see all the leases. Well, you've likely already seen a rent roll. Now, what happens if the leases don't match the rent roll? The common mistake I see is that property owners, the buyers, and the realtors are not asking for something called estoppels. Now, this term might vary in your state, but here in Wisconsin, we have something called an estoppel. What an estoppel is, is it takes the place of a written lease. So if you have a situation where maybe the lease was from 10 years ago, obviously the rent rate doesn't match anymore. Maybe there's a couple other things that doesn't match. Maybe they've gotten a pet since then. It wasn't covered in the lease. 
this is the purpose of an estoppel is the estoppel basically says the new terms of the lease are X, Y, Z, all other stipulations in the prior lease dated May 1st, 1995 are still in effect. It basically gives you this paper document that the seller and the tenant sign where they're mutually agreeing that yes, these are the current terms of the lease. This is really important because if you find yourself in a position where you go to court in front of a judge, let's say for an eviction, and you don't have an updated lease that you issued since taking over, they're going to ask for the lease. If your lease doesn't match what they're being charged, you could be in a real issue if you don't have documentation to back that up. So get your estoppels if the lease does not match the rent roll. The other reason you want estoppels or the other situation you would is if somebody doesn't have a written lease. This I'm realizing is more common still than I actually thought it was. I thought this was something that mostly occurred in the 90s, but I'm realizing from onboarding some new clients over the years, as well as from communicating with different uh, ma and pa self-managing landlords that it's very common still to have verbal leases, nothing written. If you are purchasing a property that has verbal leases, you absolutely need to be getting estoppels. That is a no-brainer. This is obviously something that I'm like, no, you know what? This is a requirement. I would always put in every single offer to purchase. If there are no written leases for a unit, an estoppel must be entered into between the seller and the tenant. Now, in the instances we're using the estoppel as something that signifies a written lease, what are you putting in there? Well, you're putting in there the date that they moved in, the security deposit that was paid, the rent amount as it is right now. And it's a good idea to have things covered like pets if possible, uh, utilities, how those are divided up if possible as well. I'll be honest though, most of the times with estoppels, you're only really going to get the rent rate and the security deposit. If you're lucky, you'll get utilities. You'll very rarely ever get any pet information on there. But estoppels are definitely something that are useful and they're very useful in the situations where maybe the lease doesn't match the rent roll or you just don't have a written lease. All right, next contingency. This is a contingency that is one that I use with caution. I recommend it with caution. And really the only time I recommend it is when you're dealing with units that are buildings that are 12 units or larger. So sometimes I want to put in a contingency that says the buyer must agree to any agreements, renewal terms with tenants during a certain time frame. So this time frame is usually after your financing contingency is met, met and after your home inspection contingency is met. After you get those two big ones out of the way, usually your, de your deal is kind of seen as a for sure thing. Obviously, we know financing can kind of fall through randomly, but generally speaking, once you get past those two, then we begin to think, okay, this deal is safe. So sometimes when I'm dealing with larger multifamilies, I like to put in a contingency in there that says that the buyer must agree to any agreements or renewal terms with tenants that the seller wishes to enter into after the financing and home inspection contingencies are met before closing. Okay. So what this means is that if the tenant if a tenant comes to the seller and says, hey, I want to renew my lease, I've got to get a new contract entered into for a year because of my kid's school. 
you want to have it in your offer to purchase that you can be brought into those decision-making items during a specific time frame. Having this contingency in there where it's anytime after the accepted offer will not work because there's a lot of things that could fall through even in the first 10 days of an offer. So if you're going to put this in there for a larger multifamily, it really should be a very succinct time frame where the two major contingencies are fulfilled and you haven't closed yet. That's the time frame that you want this to cover. You really don't have any right to be involved in any of that before those two big contingencies are met. So I wouldn't put it in there for any stretch of time longer than that. And lastly, this is my last suggestion for a contingency to to consider, and that is copies of recent utility bills. Very often when we're making a property purchase, we will evaluate the property based on our calculations, our assumptions on what the utility charges will be. And these are sometimes coming from experience. So maybe you already have a duplex in that city and you know that your water bill is $90 a month. Okay, great. That gives you a good idea for your calculations. It's a good ballpark. Sounds fine. Maybe you have, you know, a quad and you have some common electric and you can kind of go, okay, well, my common electric is $45 a month. So I'm going to put that in the calculations for this quad in the same city. That's all fine and great for when you're doing your calculations. But there can be times where your calculations are vastly different. One of the more common ones is water. For some reason, it's a little harder to pinpoint exactly what a good budget is for water because it can vary so dramatically. If you are comparing it with a with maybe a 12 unit that doesn't have washer and dryer at all anywhere, it's not provided in the units, it's not coin laundry in the basement. If you don't have anything to compare it to, then if you're buying something that has coin laundry, you're likely going to underestimate that water bill. So if you're dealing with a situation where you have amenities that are affecting a utility and you're not quite sure how much it's going to affect it, I really recommend having a contingency in there that you get copies of the most recent utility bills for the water, for the electric, for gas, for whatever bills the landlord would be responsible for paying for on a consistent basis. You're not looking for copies of utility bills for the vacant units because that's something that obviously you can do a lot of controlling as far as what that cost is going to be. But you definitely want to get copies of bills for the utilities you're going to be responsible for paying. You don't want to find yourself in a situation where the seller had in their budgets the water was, you know, let's say $50 a month. You go ahead and close on the property and your first billing cycle, you find out that $50 a month was nowhere near correct. In reality, it was $200 a month. So this is why it's important to get copies of most recent utility bills, just to be sure and verify that what you're buying into is what you think you are, because it's really easy for sellers to, I don't want to say lie. I don't like using that word. But it's really easy for them to manipulate the expenses or to just sort of give a ballpark to their realtor and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I really think I pay like, I don't know, I think $50 a month for water when you break it down by month. Mm, I don't know, maybe. Another common one is if you pay for heat, but maybe not air conditioning. 
that's something that people sellers have a harder time sort of recalling off of memory because they don't pay it every single month. It's a bill that they have four months out of the year. So they're going to give an estimate. They're usually not going to be giving you anything that's based on factual bills, like adding them up, dividing them out sort of situation. So I do recommend if you have a situation where you're buying a property that you're paying for the heat, that is one that I would also be trying to verify through copies of recent utility bills. Now, if you don't want to make this a contingency, let's say you don't want to make this a contingency because you're like, you know what? I got four or five contingencies already on here. Let me give you a tip here. Most utility companies, whether they be city, so the municipal service for water, or be a private company for gas or electric, most of them, if you call them and tell them you're considering purchasing a property, they will give you a ballpark. And this is a much better ballpark than the ballpark the realtor or the seller are giving you. They will give you a ballpark of what the most recent utility bills have totaled up to. I have done it. I have called, we have We Energies here in the state of Wisconsin for gas and electric. Some places it's just electric, some places it's just gas. But I call We Energies and I tell them, hey, I'm considering buying a property over on Birch Drive. Here's the address. I know you can't give me copies of bills, but can you just read off to me the most recent bills for the common area utility? They'll be able to tell what common area is because they'll have a code behind it. Sometimes it's HTLG, sometimes it's BLD, they'll have a code that'll signify that that bill is for a common area. They'll give you the last two, three, four months. Or if you know you have a situation again where you pay for heat, you can ask, hey, can you give me the amount of the most recent bills for the heating cycle for last winter? It's a great tip. Many of them will do it for you. In fact, I've never had anyone not do it. But again, understand you're not going to get actual bills because that's something they can't release. But they'll tell you it was $85 for February, $95 for January, $200 for December. They'll give you the dollar amounts. They just won't give you the actual bills. So these contingencies, again, they're not anything that you have to have in every single offer. What I suggest you do is you kind of review this list and go, you know what, this one's really important to me for this property purchase. Or, you know what, this one, I don't think we really got a good indication of every unit. I know we missed a unit. I want to make sure and have that contingency in there. So these are just ones to have in your back pocket to put into offer to purchases as they fit for the deal and as they fit for the information you have received thus far. I hope you guys have a great week and I will see you next time.